I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Sorry I wasn't with you guys on Wednesday. There was, um, locker room was awesome. We definitely had some great conversations, but it, dem- it kind of trended more towards a general NBA discussion. So I felt that it probably didn't fit the narrative of coming off the back of a game, another game coming up to then post that because it was kind of just like it was a loss against Utah. And then you're going to hear us just discuss the NBA as a whole. And then there's a loss against Cleveland. It didn't really fit the content strategy. So I apologize for not being with you Wednesday. I am with you today, though, on a Friday, ready for the weekend. It's been a rough week to be a Celtics fan. Rough, rough, rough week. I'm very upset. I'm going to vent about it. We're going to discuss this. We're going to have a little bit of time. I'm super positive on this team all the time. Not today. I'm going to air some frustrations. I'm joined by Tim. You guys know Tim. Tim's been on here before. He was a co-host. He's doing his thing over with CLNS now. Tim, how are you feeling? Are you as upset as me? I mean, I was feeling a lot better like coming out of the break, but after the past couple of games, I'm a little bit upset. Okay, a little bit upset's a little bit conservative. So, yeah, I'm miffed. Yeah, for me, it's like um, I want to be. I just want to play that Drake song right, real quick. You know what I mean? That I'm upset. It's disrespect. I don't want to start rapping copyrighted music. But this is how I feel, you know? Like, for me, there's a lot of questions I've got in terms of minutes distribution. I think that's where I want to start here. I want to start on minutes distribution. So first of all, my biggest issue is why is Semi Ojale playing over Aaron Neesmith? Like, I understand Shemi comes in, he's pro- arguably a better defender, probably, borderline definitely better defender, but he's not a long-term piece of this team. He's not a core piece of this team. He's a guy that I genuinely have been saying for two years, I don't know how where he fits. And I don't know how much longer he's a Celtic. And by all accounts, he's, he's seriously, dude. Like every time I think he's written off, he's back, you know. And like by all accounts, he's a really nice guy. So I'm not attacking him on a personal level, but from a basketball standpoint and a fit standpoint, he doesn't give enough to the team to be taking away from a lottery pick. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. That's biggest issue. Then I've got Jeff T. Jeff T. Getting minutes that's. While Marcus Smart is back, now the minutes are being distributed between Smart, Teague, and Pritchard. So Pritchard is playing less. No, don't play Teague. Put Teague in the end of the bench where he belongs. Give Pritchard those minutes. I've, I, I could go on and on and on. But it's definitely some of these selections to me are frustrating because you've got the youth there that you need to develop. And if you're and people will be like, oh, well, he's not playing them because maybe they're in trade discussions. Well, if they have a big night, now that trade discussion, the value in that trade discussion goes up. If they have a bad night, the value can't be any lower than getting consistent DMP CDs. And that's the part that's frustrating. And when you talk about Semi, I, I think it's funny because when you talk about writing him off, I wrote him off when they were coming back, when they were coming back and playing in the bubble. And I'm like, I don't know. Semi kind of, he was starting to get up a little bit, but I'm starting to wonder what his fit is long term with the team. And then he had like a decent bubble outing. It was like, okay. And I felt the same way going into this season where I'm saying, I really don't know how short of a leash Shemi Ojale has. And then he ended up going and shutting me up and having this hot play. I'm like, great, awesome. And then he just just plummets. 
just falls off the face of the earth. And like you said with the defense, I think the one thing that everyone has always credited Chemi for is his defense. Can we say without doubt in our mind that he's better defender than Neesmith? Like, of course, Neesmith is a rookie and he's learning. But Neesmith's giving you 100% energy and hustle. That's how he earned those minutes back before. He wasn't getting any playing time until he committed fully to the defensive end. And then he had a couple great outings. Had a couple outings where he's what? Three for five, four for six from deep. And then you just, his minutes evaporated without explanation or thought. They were just gone. They never, and they never address it. Like they're like, oh, well, you know, we had that rough stretch of games. We were losing. I'm like, yeah, but he was actually like a bright spot in that. And then you just benched him. It didn't make sense. And don't even get me started on Jeff Teague, man. Like I know Pritchard's had a couple down games, but he's still, there's still growth there. There's still positives to take from that. I, I promise you, I promise you, you are not going to learn anything new about Jeff Teague or what he could provide for the Celtics by giving him more minutes than Peyton Pritchard. You gain nothing from it. Unless your goal is to just say, well, we know we need to make a trade. We are going to try and give these vets some time in the hopes that somebody somewhere is going to say, you know what? Yeah, we'll absorb their contracts for the rest of the season. Why not? Yeah, screw it. Yeah, go ahead, do that. Other than that, I don't get it. It's not logical, and I don't know if these are demands that are coming down from Danny Ainge or if this is strictly on Brad. It's a bit of both, right? So if it's Brad, it's Brad's decisions, and you can roast him for the rotations. But part of that's still on Ainge regardless because he gave them those guys. He insisted on drafting guys like Neesmith and Langford. We've drafted guys in the top 15 twice now, and they're not giving us anything. They're not giving the Celtics anything in terms of rotations. So from a Celtics perspective, you have to be like, what are we missing here? What 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 is wrong with us? I mean, in fairness to Langford, he's injured, so he can't give you anything at the moment. But in the, with Neesmith, I completely agree. I mean, look, coming into the season, these moves were made under the – and these moves, I mean, Teague and Thompson. These moves were made under the assumption that the team would be a championship contender. These moves were made before James Harden found a new home in Brooklyn. These moves were made before a PJ Tucker is now a bench piece on the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you know what I mean? So at the time, it was like, yo, this team's going to contend. We need to put some veteran presence around them. We're going to give them a Jeff Teague that Brad Stevens has loved for his top since coming into the league. And we're going to give you a Tristan Thompson that is a gritty all defensive level center at, uh, at his prime with NBA championship experience. Both of them have been a failure. First things first, Tristan Thompson's not bad. Tristan Thompson is more switchable than what Ennis Cantor was. Ennis Cantor, however, fit the system better in terms of when he got an offensive rebound, he could actually convert those into points. He would look to kick the ball back out. I get it. It's apples and oranges. One guy is better on offense. One guy is better on defense. Both guys are limited, but in my opinion, Tristan Thompson was a move you make when you genuinely feel you're a piece away. Now you know you're not a piece away, then you start looking around. And this has been a discussion that I've had with multiple people. It's been a discussion that's taken place in some group chats and some Slack channels that I'm in where you need to pick a lane. You need to say, right, are we a contending team? If you're blind, you're going to say, yeah. If you actually have been watching the season, you're going to say, no, we're, we're far away. It's not just one trade away now. It's multiple moves away. So the first thing you start to do then is you start to scale back on the minutes for the vets and you start to give the rookies time, the young guys time to develop. If you want Grant Williams to develop, put him in as a small ball five. 
the the narrative of Grant Williams is that he was a younger version of what you would see from PJ Tucker. And PJ Tucker is a guy that plays small ball five primarily. So you remove Thompson from that rotation and you give us Grant Williams as a small ball five option. You remove Teagers from the rotation and you give us Peyton Pritchard. You remove Shemi, you give us Neesmith. And when Romeo comes back, you make room for that guy too because you need to develop these pieces. If not, and you're going all in and you still think for some reason that this is a championship team, you need to make a move for somebody like Harrison Barnes. You need a secondary move for a better playmaker coming off the bench. And then you probably need a third move for somebody that can come in and help on the defensive end when things aren't going well. You need two or three guys. It's not going to happen this year. There's too many teams that have got better. There's going to be more teams that get better. There's a path to it happening, but I just don't see Danny Ainge pulling the trigger on three or four big swings before the summer. Yeah, and I I think there is a couple different things at play with Danny Ainge specifically. So as you said, when they went out and they signed Teague and Thompson, like they were hoping that they were going to get a lot more out of those two guys. And an important acknowledgement of the fact is they're not living up to the expectation. Those two guys were signed by Ainge with the intent of them contributing. And it's not working. So at what point does Danny Ainge take a look in the mirror and say, I need to be better? I need to be better at my job. Granted, you you went ahead and you hit on both Brown and Tatum. Those are big pickups. And that Pritchard pick was huge. It, don't get me wrong. I don't think that Neesmith and Langford are completely devoid of potential or talent. But you're not you're not putting them in a position to succeed. And if you're going young, you got to go young. And if not, then, you know, you have to pick a direction, as you said. You have to give them minutes or you have to make room for someone who's going to come in and contribute. Like these last two games have been a perfect example of them not having bench power. They didn't have it against Utah and they got walled by what, 24 points compared? It was 45 to 21 point differential for their benches. And they had, they were one for eight from three in the Utah game in Marcus Smart accounted for six of those attempts. He was one for six. You need to go ahead and add something that's going to give you firepower. My mentality has always been with the TPE, even leading up to the season. We talked about it before where I said, this TPE, you should try and use it before the season. And now it's, well, we're we're not good enough to contend, so we should wait until the offseason. And I think that is a foolish, foolish endeavor. You're hoping that something better is waiting there. I know that the asking price is going to be high. Do you think it's going to be higher in the summer or lower in the summer when people know that you don't have leverage anymore? You got to use that TPE before it expires. Like that's a that's a big thing. And I'm not saying it has to be Barnes. It doesn't have to be a, a big deal like a, a Nikola Vucevic or you somehow try and finagle the cap into some weird situation where you're trying to deal for Bradley Beal or something crazy like that. Just add guys who are going to help your depth. Add guys who've got a contract that go past next season. You don't have to use the full TPE. Just add contracts that are going to help you. And then what happens is you can move those contracts down the line if you need to. But I'm done with the first-round picks. No more first-round picks need to be added to this roster. You may, you need to make a decision. What if it was Cade Cunningham? Well, I think that's a different story, right? He's going to be consensus <laughs> first overall pick. Yeah, I'm just saying like, you can't, like, you're saying you're done with first-round picks. I just wanted to throw the name that everybody <laughs> wants, right? I'm done with first-round picks. What about Cade Cunningham? Oh, well, that's different. 
you know. So I'm when I'm done with do- pick. Yeah, I know, but it's still a first round pick. I'm I'm just caught, I'm just giving you some shade. I know, I know, I know. I mean, the one thing that people are forgetting as well is there isn't just one TPE. There's one off Ennis Cantor too. There's one off Vincent Poirier. Granted, they're smaller um, amounts. They're smaller numbers, but they're still viable in moves. You can still maneuver around those. When I for me, I understand completely. You move into the summit, you're now not, no longer operating from a position of strength. Teams know that that TP needs to get used. However, the bigger names that want out will want out in the summer. They will want to move in the summer. So biding your time with that TP, like my biggest thing is that there isn't no cap room now. So And there's very limited amount of value on this roster in terms of trade value. So this big TP needs to be a big swing. It needs to be a swing that brings you in somebody that is effectively a fourth star or a borderline star. If you split this up into two or three guys, then the downside of that is you get the depth, but you no longer have the extra star power. However, we've seen what happens when you have too many cooks in the kitchen with the Celtics team. We've seen it for multiple years. So maybe there's value in not having all those stars and maybe there's value in splitting that TP up into multiple smaller deals. But... At the moment, while they're making these decisions, you should give run to the guys you drafted. I get it. If there was a G League, this discussion wouldn't be happening because Neesmith would be down with Maine and he would be getting consistent reps in the G League. And the next time we see him, he's going to be more up to speed. He'll know the system better and we'll see what he's actually about. But there isn't. So unfortunately, it's a trial by fire. You're losing anyway. When you when you're putting Carson Edwards in before your lottery pick, that's in uh, that's an insult. You, you get what I'm saying? Like that's insulting. I I hate that. So I want Carson to be good. Like I really want Carson to be good. And we've seen these small flashes. But if you want to play him, then just cut out the Teague minutes and give him some run. But there's yeah, you're you're 100 correct. There is no world in which. A second-round pick should be getting minutes before a guy you drafted in the lottery, regardless of how ready you think he is. He's only going to get better by playing. And like you said, Maine Red Claws did not join the G League for this season because of the pandemic. So if they're not playing, the only way he's going to get time and run is through one of two things, practice or actual in-game playing time. And practice has been something they've talked about constantly in pressers. Well, we, we don't have a lot of time to practice. We haven't a lot of practice to go through and like get acclimated and stuff. And that's been part of the issues with them trying to develop chemistry and synergy. So if that's the case, then you have to play them in game. You have to make a decision there. You have to make a decision for your future. I mean, we're talking about practice. Okay. I'm just joking. AI, just, AI. Yeah, my Iverson impression. <laughs> Outside of that though, I mean, we, we can harp on about this for 45 minutes and not get anywhere. Outside of that, my next issue is the sets or the lack of sets that are being called. You know what I mean? It's high pick and roll, screen and roll. I've spoke about it a thousand times on this show. We've seen them implement a few new little um, caveats, a few wrinkles into this offensive system, but they're not running any traditional modern NBA transition plays. There's no, there's very little pistol. There's very little elbow sets being run. They, they found a lot of success with an empty corner pick and roll. They've moved away from that. We've saw them be successful crashing off the baseline. They've moved away from that. We're not seeing any UCLA cuts. We're not seeing any hot screens. There's so many variants of pick and roll play that modernizes your offense, that forces rotation offensively and causes a defense to 
to kind of bend and you bend them and bend them until they snap. We're not seeing that. The ball movement's improved. I get that. But it's still very slow. It's a slower pace than what we've been used to seeing. In transition, there's a limited amount of drag screens being set. Drag screens are uber important, especially when you've got a guy like Tatum that can get hot in transition from that coming off that screen and pulling up, especially when you've got a guy like Tatum that can really get downhill. You need those drag screens. You need those back picks. I think I've seen two Spain pick and rolls from this team all year. They're just running horns, 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 horns. And I get it. Horns works. You've got a go dash into the rim and another one popping, and it's great. But you need to diversify your set calls. And this is a Brad Stevens issue. And if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you'll know that I'm a very big Brad fan. I, I, I defend Brad as, um, quite vocally in terms of, I do, I do think he's got flaws, and I do think that he's, some of his, the decisions that are being questioned right now are completely and utterly justified. But I also think that there isn't a better coaching availability right now. So what I'm saying is now, Brad Stevens must know that the team he's got isn't as technically gifted, and he spoke about this recently as teams struggling to find out what they're great at. This team isn't as technically and skilled, technically gifted and skilled as what they were in previous years. So he has to simplify his offensive schematics. And what happens then is a simple schematic means it's very easy to suss you out, it's very easy to defend against. And then when you're walking the ball up and you're spending 10, 12 seconds just setting up your offense you've got one chance to run a play or you go iso and it's just too easy to defend and right now i'm really starting to lose um, my patience with it and it's also frustrating like you said when it comes down to a matter of diversifying plays and i think part of that yeah it comes down to personnel it comes down to what guys are able to do, what they're able to bring into the situation. I think one underrated thing that is obviously, it's been a really hot topic, but in terms of Rob Williams getting playing time, Rob Williams is arguably your best passing big. And they really don't utilize that to its fullest potential. We've seen some flashes where, you know, there was a play the other night where Rob Williams is at the top of the arc and he had this quick little pass inside to a cutting Jalen Brown. And it was a beauty of a pass, and he's capable of doing that. Why aren't you trying to get him involved in the post? Like, get him in the post, have him have the defense forced to collapse onto him in the post, and then he's kicking it back out to the arc for an open three. Like, he's able to do that. He's a very savvy passer and incredibly smart offensively. And part of that is he's not getting enough playing time. And maybe this is where these Tristan Thompson rumors are coming out where you're hoping that you can open up more minutes for Rob and give him time to run. But he's been such a revelation in terms of the way he's developed. I want to see more out of him offensively beyond just having him be a rim runner, having him be that lob threat. You know, they're getting him involved in the pick and roll, of course, but I want to see what he can do more offensively. And I think the only way you're going to do that is, like you said, diversify your offense. Don't hesitate to get guys like Rob Williams involved. Because every single time I see him out in the court, he's doing positive impact things on both sides of the ball. So for me, like, I've spoke a lot about Rob Williams' passing ability. Um, I've spoke about the fact that that is what you predicate his short-roll offense on prim primarily. While he continues to improve that jumper, you 
you use him as a secondary creator out of the short roll. But if you want to utilize that passing above the perimeter, then you put him in dribble handoff situations and you allow him to operate in a fake DHO scheme where you fake a DHO and then hit some guy cutting back door. So eventually teams have to pull up on him and it will give you a similar level of spacing. Not as much, but a similar level of spacing as if he was a consistent three-point shooter. Because teams have to clog those passing lanes on those fake DHOs. You can run DHO into a ball screen and then slip and short roll. You can really diversify the way you use Rob Williams due to that passing ability. And yet, it means he's going to improve. his turnovers are going to increase. Oh, well, they're not winning right now anyway. Just let and it's only it will be short lived while he figures it out. If you look at his improvement trajectory at the moment, I don't think that would be a long term issue in terms of turnovers. The other thing I'd say is as well, if you've got Robbins on the floor with a guy like Grant or a guy like Tice, get Grant or Tice to set wedge screens so that you can get um, Rob Williams into the post, set the wedge screen, let Rob Williams come off it into the post, post him up, give him the ball, and then play from the kick out there. You can set the wedge screen, get him into the elbow, and go directly into an elbow set. There's so many ways that you can diversify the office from a passing big. And you can see this. I mean, I'm not, and by no means am I saying that Rob Williams is at this level, but you can see how diverse an offense can be when your big man can distribute by watching a few games of Denver. And I'm nowhere near saying it's going, Rob Williams is that level. Rob Williams is nowhere even near the level of playmaker that Bam Adebayo is but there's a road for him to get to a similar level of playmaker as Bam Adebayo, and you can have a secondary offensive hub. And that would be ideal, especially for the Celtics, where their bigs have a lot to deal with. I mean, Daniel Tice has made his killing at top of the key screens. Like, that's really where he started to separate himself from the other bigs and took that starting role last year. So the fact of the matter is, is you're hoping that the Celtics can go ahead and have a guy like Rob Williams develop in the system and learn as much as he can from the guys around him. You were hoping that when you introduced Tristan Thompson to the situation, you were going to have a bruising big who could rebound and do all the things you needed to do. And then Rob kind of just has developed to the point where you're probably looking at moving a guy like Tristan Thompson. So if that's the case, like I know we trades get talked about so heavily, but I, I can't not talk about it because when I look at this team, there's just so much missing. And in terms of playmaking, especially like I, I want something more. Um, what, what do you think? It, what do you think of these Toronto rumors with Tristan Thompson? I know I'm pivoting hard, but like it's been on my mind all day. I'm thinking about like what they could potentially. I think that this is more along the lines of Tristan Thompson has said he wants to play in Toronto before he retires. I'm oh. not sure. Um, he's a native Canadian. He's from Canada. Uh, yeah, he wants to play in his home. Like, like, you know, Toronto is basically Canada's home team. So if you're anywhere from Canada, you want to play for your home team, you're going to the Raptors. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where these rumors are coming from. I wouldn't suggest that there's been too many discussions. I wouldn't mind either if there was. But I definitely do think that there's a world where you can move on from Tristan Thompson now. But it would have to be somewhere that Tristan Thompson would be happy to go. So the optics aren't terrible. The last thing you want to do is sign a guy to a two-year full MLE deal and then ship him out three, four months into the season. You know what I mean? Regardless of how the fit is, the optics on that just don't look great. Yeah. So that's my only downside to moving him early. Yeah, and I, it's the same thought process I had with Kemba Walker when there were rumors. And now there's rumors coming out that Steve Clifford, of course, a former coach for Charlotte, uh, was interested in Kemba Walker reunion. 
in Orlando, but of course it was like, oh, it doesn't really seem like a trade's going to happen there. But moving a guy like Kemba or moving a guy like Tristan Thompson, where you've just acquired them, granted Kemba's been here a little bit longer, but guys that you've recently signed in free agency, you, you can't move on or you can't be too quick to move on unless it's a deal or a situation where the player wants out, the player wants to play somewhere else. Like if Tristan Thompson's minutes just evaporate from this rotation when he comes back from health and safety protocols, do you think he's going to be happy? Probably not because he signed to play for a contender. He wanted to come here and says, hey, we're, we're, the, we're the hunted. We got to come in and you know show out. We have to come and bring it. I want to bring that physical presence. I want to come in and set the tone on the defensive end. You know, if you're bringing a guy like that in and he's not able to fulfill that role or the team is not living up to that expectation, I don't imagine he's going to stay happy for long. And this is the other problem, but like it's keeping guys happy. And I understand the concern in accepting that you're in a soft rebuild, which is effectively what you'd be doing by getting rid by benching your vets. And I understand the concern of how do we sell this to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? But how do you sell being stuck in mediocrity for the next three or four years to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Do you sell them on a, a last year for three more good ones? Or do you sell them on two years? Like, there's so many different angles you can kind of attack this from that it it's quite tough to kind of um, vocalize and kind of mentally picture where the Celtics' next moves are coming from. Moving on. We spoke about the sets. We spoke about the uh, straddling two timelines. I think the next thing for me that's really frustrating and really irritating has got to be the minutes distribution. So it's not just about the players that you're playing. It's how long you're playing them for. And with no Kemba Walker on back-to-backs, you're riding Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum a little bit harder. But you know Brown's got um, slight knee tendonitis. You know Jason Tatum is struggling kind of like physiologically due to the COVID issues that he had and he's struggling to be able to stay in breath and everything like that. So there's questions there like against against Cleveland, do you understand running until the last minute with the lineup you've got because it's a close game? But realistically, like if you if you in that game and you think to yourself, right, Tatum hasn't got it going tonight, Brown hasn't got it going tonight. What's stopping you from reducing their minutes for a game? If you genuinely don't, if you know it's going down to the wire anyway, put some hungry guys in there and let some of your stars get some rest. If you're up big, sit them a bit earlier. And if they have to come in later, then so be it. But at the end of the day, you need to start giving your two stars rest because otherwise, in a few more months once the playoffs come, these guys are going to be exhausted. They're going to be banged up. And then now all of a sudden you've got two guys that are at high risk of injury that your entire franchise leans on. And they're going to be disgruntled. That's a big aspect of it. You know, I, I worry about their health, especially as you said, you know, you've got Jalen need to worry about. You've got Jason Tatum, who is still talking about, I don't feel the same as I did after COVID. And that was after a game where he had a really good night too. And that was after the Utah game. I think Jason Tatum was a bright spot in that game. He performed great. He, he also was doing great in that Cavaliers game. You know, he got the Celtics the lead from the third quarter. As soon as he went to the bench, they let out a 12-3 run and lost the lead. So it's another situation where they need to go ahead and figure out something. And with the trades and everything, you know, this is part of the reason why I push for trades. This is one of the main reasons why I push for trades because at the end of the day, you have to think about long-term view. 
You have to think about your two guys, keeping them happy, and also mainly keeping them healthy. Like they might understand that there are problems with the roster and that it's it's a COVID season. It's a season that's ravaged by the pandemic. But you also need to try and think about keeping these guys healthy, keeping them in the tip-top shape that they need to be in. And if that means sacrificing more at the deadline to try and keep them safe, you know, like I don't think that's too much of an ask. Just try and take care of your guys. Keep them happy. And this is the this is the thing, man. This is where it really gets to me. Outside of that, I'm okay. I feel like um social media is kind of putting a lot of the brain on Brad. Um, I know Danny Ainge went on Toucher and Rich and said that he doesn't think the team has the um what's the word I'm looking the characteristics of a very good team there. And I I agree with him. I feel like this team is constructed to be much better than what they are, but unfortunately there just seems to be a few square pegs trying to be jammed into round holes right now. And that's a big issue. Having a guy like Tristan Thompson playing alongside a guy like Daniel Tice, that two big lineup, while it does give you a plan B, hasn't been a success. Grant Williams is having a down year. um, Jalen Brown, over the last two or three games, seems to have regressed um, offensively. Defensively, everybody seems to be playing a worse brand of defense than what they have done in previous years, Marcus Smart included. So I don't know whether it's because the season is truncated. I don't know whether it's because practices are hard to come by. So it's very hard to incorporate a, a scheme. But overall, this team is underachieving. And the only way to shake things up is to make a trade. And when Danny made those remarks on Toucher and Rich, I genuinely believe that he did that not to put the onus on himself, but to let everybody know that, hey, guess what? You guys, no one's untouchable. So if we don't have the characteristics of a good team, it's my job to change that. And that's how I think he was doing it, more as a motivational thing. Yeah, and I think there's an important aspect to that beyond just COVID and the issues that you have with the Jays in terms of their health. You know, of course, you lost Gordon Hayward, which I've harped on a lot. You're losing a 50-40-90 wing, and you're not doing anything to replace it. So, like, you need to try and get some production somewhere. Another big aspect is Kemba Walker having the issues he's having with his own health. And I think last night's game, or rather the the Cavaliers game that we had uh, Wednesday going into Thursday, that was a perfect example of why there are issues with Kemba Walker. The fact that you have to rest him on every single back-to-back right now, that's a big issue because with the way that the Celtics have been arranged and needing scoring where they need it, not having a guy to lean on, That's a huge issue because right now, in my opinion, if Kemba Walker is out, that feels like a scheduled loss to me, depending on the opponent. And right now, especially because it was the Cavaliers, Cavaliers are not a good team this year. They've been very wishy-washy. They've had some really, really great performances, especially with that backcourt that they've got going between Sexton and Garland. But that was a very winnable game. They only lost by a few points, and they overcame this massive deficit. Like You can't convince me that if Kemba Walker was in the game, they would have lost. And the issue with Kemba, too, is even when he's playing, even when he's there, there's no guarantee that you're going to get that same guy that you sought in free agency. You're not get, always going to get that 100% bona fide all-star point guard performance out of him. And that's the issue. Like He's not Kawhi. I talked about this in a chat earlier. He's not Kawhi Leonard. He's not Kawhi Leonard where it's like, oh, okay, he, he needs to do some load management we're going to have him rest, you know, for about a week, week and a half. He's going to miss some games. 
we'll have the other guys carry the roster for now. And then when he comes back, he'll be good. You know, he's not impacting the game in the same way. And I wouldn't expect him to with his position and his height and all that. But if you're not getting that, I can't justify keeping a guy who has to rest every back-to-back because right now you, you, you can't afford to be losing these games. You're, you're, you're playing 500 basketball with the way that the team is arranged. You, you need some more depth. You need somebody, anybody to come and step up. And I just, I really have question marks about where that's coming from internally. It feels like we've been quite negative on this one. And usually I'm the most positive Celtics guy out there. I try to be anyway. Um, there are still some highlights that I can point to that have been good. Um, I still think that there's going to be growth in internal growth. But I also believe that without some moves, this team is going to struggle over the next few months. And unfortunately, that's just where we are. So that's, that kind of kind of going to wrap us up. I don't know what more we can say about harping on the same subjects. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't I don't want to keep beating the same drum, but you know something's got to give. And the fact that Danny Ainge has been coming out and even even entertaining these radio sessions, it, it means that he's at least acknowledging internally within the organization, hey, we need to make some moves. And him playing his, you know, I don't know, I guess you call it NBA politics in terms of the media and trying to not give up leverage, but also acknowledge, yeah, there are some issues with this team. I get him being like, yeah, we're not sure if we're going to use the TPE because they don't want to lose leverage at the trade deadline. But ultimately, he has to be thinking that there needs to be – if you're not using the big TPE, as you said, you have those smaller TPEs from the deal where you dealt Poirier to the Thunder and when you dealt Cantor um, involving the Grizzlies and the Trailblazers, sending him back to Portland. You've got those TPEs. So try and make something work with those. I'm not – I'm not asking for the sky and moon. I'm not asking for magically prying Jeremy Grant away from the Detroit Pistons. I'm not expecting John Collins at this point. I've significantly lowered my expectations. I don't think Harrison Barnes, even if they're saying, oh, he's off the table. I don't buy that. I think he's available. He's a guy you absolutely should target, especially if the long-term goal is to go and sign somebody in free agency with both him and Kemba Walker having contracts that wrap up around the same time, you just got to do something. It's exasperating watching this team struggle when the problems are just so clear and evident. That pretty much wraps us up for today, everybody. We hope we started your Friday off on a positive time. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. It's been a lot of negativity of the timeline. You kind of just have to be honest. First, yeah, first I mean, look, acceptance. <laughs> I mean, look, my, my outlook on it is I try and be as positive as possible. But in order to offer fair analysis, I sometimes I have to lean on the side of negativity, lean on the side of blunt honesty. And this is one of those times. It's been a it's been a tough week as a Celtics fan. Tough week watching every game, breaking them down. You guys generally only have to watch them once. I try and watch them twice. Once for see what's going on. Twice to kind of really get into the play calls and the sets. So um, I've lived it twice over. It's been twice as bad. Everybody, I hope you have a great Friday. We'll be back on Monday with some happy stuff. Uh, don't know what that is yet, but we're going to make it happy. Promise, be happy stuff. Tim, <laughs> thank you for joining us today, man. Cheers, man. Thank you for having me. Always good to be on the show. Guys, before we go, if you enjoyed your show, please leave that five-star written review. If you're not one for leaving written reviews and leaving nice things, then just recommend us to a friend or family member if they're a Celtics fan. Word of mouth is always the best way of growth. If you're not following me on Twitter, please do, at AdamTaylorNBA. Same on Instagram, same on YouTube. 
that's pretty much where you'll find me. Sometimes I might pop into Reddit, but um, I lurk there more than contribute. Everybody have a great weekend. 